Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. Well, Sean, it is good to be back with you. Uh, We've kind of been on a little hiatus, and I'm excited, especially today, for this unique opportunity. Why don't you introduce our guest? Tom, I've been so looking forward to having this guest on with us. Sharon Carlo Brown is is a former pastor, a spiritual director, and get this, a best-selling author. Uh, can you imagine that? We're, we're interviewing a best-selling author today. <laughs> I think that's a first for us. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, Sharon has written a, a number of books that we're going to talk about uh, that are are spiritually formative fiction, and uh, we're going to explore what that means. But uh, Sharon, it's just a pleasure to have you on. And like I said, I've been looking forward to this conversation for, for months now. Welcome to the Hope Renewed podcast. Thank you, Sean and Tom. It is a joy to be with you and with your listeners today. I am I'm just really intrigued. I'm just getting to, to meet you and to know you um, and just want to really jump into our conversation. Um, and I'm intrigued to hear about kind of the, the roots of your ministry and your journey and how you came to be an author and, and write your first book. Well, I have to kind of go back to childhood and say that the first thing I wanted to be when I was a little girl was an author. Um, I think often we can find the seeds of our dreams in our childhood dreams, and certainly that was true for me. However, I wanted to be an award-winning, famous author, and there was a lot of ego attached to my dreams because, you know, I was always the last one picked for any kind of athletic team, and I needed something to get attention for, and writing was a way I could get attention. So there were a lot of things in me that had to die before I was ready to write for God's glory rather than my own. So fast forward some years, I was called into pastoral ministry, went into seminary um, after I graduated from college, met and married my husband, Jack, while we were in seminary and began church serving churches together around the world. And then in 2008, after we had been pastoring um, for about 15 years and we had been at one particular church co-pastoring for a couple of years, I sent out an invitation to women from our congregation to meet with me on a Monday morning weekly for what I called a spiritual formation group. And so it was going to be an opportunity to explore spiritual practices together and just to see what the Holy Spirit would do in a community gathered around some ancient practices from the church. And within those first really couple of months, we saw so much life change, so much healing, so much transformation. And I sensed the Lord saying, all right, it's time to write the book. Tell the story, tell the story of life change in community. And so as I prayed about it, it became clear it was meant to be fiction rather than nonfiction, um, which was God's genius in this, because I had no idea how to write fiction. If God had said, (laughs) write nonfiction, oh, sure. You know, I was an English lit major and knew how to write sermons. That's not what God said. God said, I'm going to call you to do something that you have no clue how to do so that you have to completely depend upon me. 
Now, the gift of that, too, was that I didn't know I was breaking rules in the kind of fiction I was writing. I was just trying. All I knew how to do was bring my posture as pastor into that listening process as I asked the characters questions and I sat and I listened and waited for their stories to emerge. And, and when I sensed the Lord saying, hey, let's, let's put these kind of nonfiction handouts into the fiction content so that you don't not only see the, the characters exploring spiritual practices on retreat, but readers can say yes to that journey as well. So I have been told that I have invented a new genre and that was not intentional. I just, <laughs> I was just trying to be faithful, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah truly. Yeah. I That's mean, it. I was just trying to be faithful. Yeah. So I, I'm just really intrigued. Um, the Sensible Shoes series. Yeah. Uh, where was that born? That, yeah. that title, that concept? That came out of the, the 2008 group. So this group, we started meeting together, 12 women two and a half hours every week. And we were together five, almost five years, a little over five years. I remember after our, oh, we had been together maybe three or four times. And we had finished our time of prayer. And one of the women looked around the circle and she said, you know, everyone here is wearing really cute but sensible shoes. And she didn't say it to be profound. She was just making a fashion statement. It was very casual. But as soon as she said it, like all of our eyes widened and we realized it was a metaphor for the journey that God had called us to take together. Because when we're exploring the landscape of the inner life, it is breathtakingly beautiful and highly unpredictable. We just don't know where the Holy Spirit's going to lead us when we say yes to that kind of deep exploration of life with Jesus. And so we began to refer to ourselves as a sensible shoes group, the sensible shoes club. So that came around when I started writing the book a few months later, that came around as a metaphor for the journey for the characters as well. And I'd have to say um, that it was unique uh, and, and uniquely of the spirit in your group. Um, I don't think a group that Sean and I would be sitting in would look around and <laughs> talk about our sensible shoes. But you never right. know, right? right. Never put it past the Lord. So this, this new genre of, of spiritually formative fiction, uh, can you describe yeah. what makes these books unique and, and how you see God using them around the world? Yeah. Well, as I said, it's a, this hybrid. They're fictional stories, so the characters aren't based on any real people, although I am in each of the characters to varying degrees in terms of the good and the bad and the ugly and the being redeemed. But the characters meet um, on a retreat, a, a multi-session, six-session retreat every other week for two and a half hours, and they are introduced to spiritual practices that um, are historically rooted in um, the Christian uh, faith community. So they learn how to meditate on scripture. They learn how to um, approach a rule of life. They learn about self-examination and confession and repentance. They learn about lament. And so as they are being introduced to these as spiritual practices, as I said, the reader also has the opportunity to pause and reflect. And, you know, you can read it as fiction in a story, or you can um, enter into the experience individually and in community to this retreat. So each of the books has an accompanying study guide, which really they serve as the primers in spiritual formation. Um, it's kind of daily scripture, 
daily questions about the characters, but then the mirror turns around and you're invited into self-reflection in terms of your own longings and resistance toward God. And, um, and then prayer practices that are woven into that as well. So that's where I'm hearing from people around the world that they're saying yes to that journey, not just as individuals, but yes to it in community. Mm. And that's the key, right? We're not called to walk alone, but how do we walk together in this intimate life with Jesus? Sharon, how many different uh, countries or what are some of the, the places that you've been uh, able to share these spiritually formative journeys with? Yeah, you know, I just led a, an online retreat a few weeks ago, and I think we had um, 13 or 14 different countries represented and four different continents just for that retreat. So, I mean, as far flung as South Africa and New Zealand and Australia um, into Asia and, um, and Europe. So it's, it's been an absolute joy to see. Oh, Brazil is being translated into Portuguese. I mean, only God, only God. Yeah. And I've heard a rumor that you're even have a, a musical that's being written <laughs> yes. around these stories. Yes, a woman from Australia wrote a musical, 14-song musical for Sensible Shoes. And my husband and I, um, as we were leading retreats in New Zealand last year, she and a cast, small cast, performed a showcase of these songs. And I was astonished. Absolutely. I mean, she wrote a five-part chant for Lexio Divina, script, you know, prayerful wow. meditation. She wrote a lament. She wrote a, a song about spirit, spiritual, with two of the characters in spiritual direction. It is, it's astonishing what the spirit inspired her to do. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, I got to tell you, the Sensible Shoes series has had a, just a huge impact in my life. Um, I was at the book release party that you did at Baker Bookhouse here in Grand Rapids for the fourth book, um, An Extra Mile. Yeah. Um, and I was, I came with my wife knowing that these books were, were geared toward women. And so while she was sitting with probably 200 other women <laughs> listening to you talk, I was walking around the store, but kind of listening a little bit to what was going on. Yeah. And I heard you describing the, the journey of Hannah, one of your characters, who's a pastor mm -hmm. in the story. And I said to myself, I may have to read these books. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, there was part of me that was like, these are books for women. This isn't something that speaking to me. But uh, you were talking about the journey that this, this uh, pastor had been on. And uh, it just, it impacted me. And, and so I picked up the books and I read all four books in two weeks. Wow. And <laughs> that's the way I do it. I binge read on my fiction. Um, but at one point, Hannah asks the question that, that just rocked my world. She asked, who am I if I'm not a pastor? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about Hannah as a character and where mm. this question came from? Yeah, she's deeply connected to my, my own life. So um, maybe I'll backtrack and just kind of a little bit of my own journey. Um, I came to faith, um, I was awakened to faith after growing up in the church. I was awakened to faith in college. And what I did without realizing it was I just baptized all of my workaholism pre-Christ into the kingdom and I brought in all of my striving and all of my perfectionism and all of my measuring myself against other people. And yes, I could give lip service to grace, 
but I was being driven by fear, the fear of letting God down, of disappointing God, of not doing enough to please God. And when you take those compulsions and idolatries into pastoral ministry, you will find congregations who congratulate you for those things and who just reinforce those habits of striving. And so our usefulness can become an addiction, an idolatry, where we define our whole sense of worth around who needs us, our role, our busyness, whether the phone is ringing, whether we're being useful in pastoral care, how well our preaching is, is being received, all of those different metrics that we use. So we can give lip service to grace, but we can shift into flesh and striving so easily. So that really was my story. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I began to be aware that the air that I was calling oxygen was actually toxic. And the Lord um, brought it to me in a radical way um, by some severe pruning. As in, my husband and I had been serving congregations together for many years, and we moved to Grand Rapids in 2003 for Jack to take a pastoral position at a church. And we knew that the job was for Jack. And I didn't think it was going to be a big deal not being on staff somewhere. So we landed in Grand Rapids 2003. And I couldn't even hide behind the excuse of um, having young children at home because our only son was in second grade. So he was heading off on the bus every day. And in the meantime, I was left asking questions, wait, who am I if I don't have an office, if my phone isn't ringing, if I don't have a title, I don't have work to do. And I remember after a few months of this angstiness, walking back to our apartment from the bus stop and just saying, I mean, just exclaiming, God, I don't know who I am when I am not serving you. And it was as if I heard the bells of heaven ring and the Lord say, you've got it. Your, your personal and professional identities are so enmeshed, you don't have a clue who you are when you are not busy working for me. And I, I will show you who you are apart from the work that you do for me. And so began a, a difficult and life-changing three years where I didn't know if I would ever serve on staff at a church again. I didn't know if I would ever be returned to official, quote unquote, office ministry. And it was during that season where the Lord really shone that bright light onto the addictions that I had had succumbed to. And so that the goal of the journey was really converting me to grace and converting me to being at rest in being his beloved, quite apart from the work that I did. After those three years, that's when Jack and I had the opportunity to say yes to co-pastoring together, which was the church where the Sensible Shoes group was birthed. And so there, there were so many, oh, such beautiful fruit of that season. And so I gave Hannah part of my journey. Now, hers begins with her church recognizing burnout in her that she's not willing to see. And they give her a nine months, all expenses paid sabbatical, which, you know, crazy. You have to kind of suspend your disbelief. But I wanted to cast a vision for churches being generous in caring for their pastors. And she had been serving without a break for 15 years, striving, trying to be useful, single woman who, you know, then she has even more time to respond to the 2 a.m. phone calls. And she had built her identity around her 
usefulness and people's good impression. Oh, she's so faithful. Look how tired she is, right? That's the mark of faithfulness if we're exhausted in ministry. And so when the church comes to her and says, We've, we, we want to give you this, it didn't come to her as a gift because she was terrified. And now we circle back to your question, Sean, who am I if I'm not a pastor? And she was terrified of what she might discover once her role was taken away from her. So that really is the heart of her journey in Sensible Shoes for sure, because it is a radical prune for her and completely disorienting. Just she feels she's dying, which she is. And then the four books track not only her journey, but each of the characters, they bring their compulsions. But that one in particular um, resonates, I find, with so many people, um, not just people in pastoral ministry, but people in, in, in lay ministry as well, just people trying to be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do. I was in my 13th year of pastoral ministry when I went through a significant phase of burnout and uh, it was in the next couple of years of recovering from that and doing a deep dive into soul care and spirituality that the Lord brought these books to me. And so when I read this book, and especially Hannah's question, uh, she voiced the question that I didn't realize I was asking myself all along, mm. which is one of the reasons I tell just about every pastor I know, you need to read these books. They, these aren't just books for women. These are spiritual journeys that all of us need to go on. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is just a phenomenal gift in the middle of that time where God was, he was bringing me uh, works from uh, Ruth Haley Barton and Eugene Peterson and yeah. Henry Nowen and Sharon Brown shows up in the middle of this and <laughs> kinda, uh, just brings them all together in, in just a beautiful way. Why do you think it's important for pastors to find out really who they are apart from their ministry as a pastor? Oh, because our false selves get wrapped up, right? Um, in our work rather than our identity as beloved children of God. And it's so easy to hide behind these things. I, I, mean, I taught for many years adjunct faculty at um, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary, which was a joy to me. But one of the things that we really looked at um, were the historical seven deadly sins. And inevitably, the pastoral students, in particular the MDivs, were shocked when they read about sloth as a sin. Because you hear the word sloth and you think, oh, that's that cute little animal that doesn't move very fast and sleeps 22 <laughs> hours a day. And I'm not, I don't, I might suffer from, you know, vain glory or envy, but I certainly don't suffer from sloth. And then you read and you dig deeper and you realize that the church fathers and mothers were defining sloth as a resistance to transformation, which often hid behind distraction and keeping busy. Mm -hmm. And so as pastors, when we are living under that, you know, it's, sometimes it's easier to be busy than to be still and listening and faithful and responding to what God has actually called us to do and to be. And so that was a, an eye-opening exploration that what am I resisting that God is calling me toward by keeping busy and by defining myself by my work in the kingdom, my busyness in the kingdom. Hmm. I think sometimes our, our busyness is just an anxiety response. Um, yes. You know, we're, we're just so anxious about the way people are thinking about us, the way people are, are, are 
wanting things from us yeah. that we just we try and project as uh, an image that's as busy as possible so that we don't actually have to deal with what's really going on below the surface. Yeah. Maybe and so we don't have to experience the pain of criticism, yeah. right? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And may maybe that's why Eugene Peterson said that that uh, busy pastor was a scandalous description. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, in in the books Hannah is dealing with burnout. She's she's on this um, sabbatical that's given to her, but she's also struggling with the idea of receiving care <laughs> yeah. from others. Oh yeah, um, you know, and uh, maybe there's some some personal bits in your own story there. I know I identified with that <laughs> myself as a pastor. Why do you think it's hard for pastors um, to receive care, and, and what can they do about that? Yeah. Oh, it takes such a posture of humility, doesn't it? And vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the first thing that Hannah's doing is she's trying to pastor everybody who's come to the retreat. You know, the, mm -hmm. obviously the retreat is so that she can learn so that she can become even more effective in her ministry. But that posture, when we realize that we are in desperate need of the grace of God given to us through the presence of others, through the support of others, um, honestly, some of my most formative times have been when the Lord has shut me down with illness and I have to be on the receiving end of care. And it is, uh, can be terrifying to be that kind of, that, you know, that level mm -hmm. of vulnerability. Um, but it comes as a, it comes as a gift when we realize that, um, the body of Christ were meant to be mutually caring for one another, that there aren't these hierarchies that we falsely set up, um, that we're leaders and therefore we are above the, the care of those we care for. Um, and so it requires humility. And I, I think just recognizing that we feel resistance toward receiving care is part of the way forward to be able to own that, to see it, to name it. Do you think it's hard for a congregation to exercise care for their pastors too? Is that, um, maybe uh, requires an equal humility that, uh, yeah. hey, I can't hold my pastor up on that pedestal anymore. Um, this is somebody I'm, I'm required to care for and recognize they have vulnerabilities and sins and yes. humanity that's, that's hard for us to identify with sometimes. It is. You know, and I remember that one of the most important ministries that was given to us when we were at our congregation um, is a a team of six people. And normally when you say pastoral relations committee or pastoral relations team to a pastor, it strikes terror because they're usually the ones that are communicating all the bad news, all of the things that people didn't have the courage to say directly to the pastor, they, they report to the pastor, the PRC, and then the PRC comes to the pastor. All right. So though it was called pastoral relations team, their sole remit was to make sure we were well and being cared for. Mm -hmm. And so what they said at the beginning was, Sharon and Jack, if you are not well as our pastors, we will not be well as a congregation. So this is our commitment to you, that we will listen well to you. We will bring to you the, the things that we see. We will, we will confront you if you're not taking your days off. We will confront you if you're not saying yes to vacation. We are here to care well for you. And because they had that kind of commitment, it freed us 
to be honest with them about what our needs were. And I am so grateful for that team that cared mm. for us. They did it beautifully. That it's beautiful. such a gift um, and, and a rare gift, I think, uh, yes. to find in a congregation. But what a picture of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, to to just embrace that, and I imagine your your work in writing um, has been uh, part of the Lord's work, His continuing work in you, and as, yeah. as He is at work in all of us. Um, how is that continuing? What are you writing now? Where are you moving forward with things? Yeah. Well, um, actually, my son and I are co-authoring the third in a new series of books. So um, last year, I released um, the first of a, a series, um, a book called Shades of Light, which deals with mental illness and spiritual mm -hmm. formation. And so there are two books in that series now we're working on on the third. It takes place in the same universe as Sensible Shoes. The difference is... In Sensible Shoes, all of the characters are experiencing a journey of transformation, healing, community, support, encouragement. I mean, it's not, they're not perfect and they struggle and, and it's two steps forward and five steps back in many ways. But they're all experiencing hope and healing. For the Shades of Light series, because mental illness is often a chronic affliction, it's the first time that I have addressed the issue of someone who the cup of suffering may not be removed from mm -hmm. them. So then how does Jesus, man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief, keep us company as we drink that cup? How does he enable us to drink that cup? Mm -hmm. And so they're hard books because mental illness is excruciating, not just for the people who suffer, but for the people who are alongside. And I think a very fair criticism of Shades of Light is that the main character is surrounded by good support. And that was deliberate because I wanted to cast a vision for what good support of the mentally ill looks like. That means she has a pastor who is caring well for her. She has someone that she's living with. She moves into um, another person's home who loves her well because she also has dealt with depression and knows what it feels like. So we have this community of co-sufferers who are well enough to offer margin to this main character. So that's, that's this new series. It still is spiritual formation driven in terms of how are we shaped and formed in our suffering, but it offers different practices because when, when people are in the midst of mental illness, anxiety, depression, panic attack, bipolar, whatever it is, words can be really hard. And so my main character it's art that the Lord uses to speak to her. It's praying with art. It's using collage. It's reading or having read to her lament psalms um, because some days she just isn't well enough to concentrate on the written word. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also an appeal to the church to be more compassionate in caring for those who are mentally ill mm -hmm. um, and to stop with the extra burden of stigma and shame that says, if you just prayed harder, if you just had more faith, if you just trusted Jesus, you ought to be well, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And that just adds to the burden. Oh, and it sounds like that, that uh, message of coming back around to attending to your own health as well. I'm thinking yes. pastors in particular yeah. uh, and how crucial it is to, to be well yourself, to care for, for others. 
and to take the steps toward getting help. That's the, mm. the most courageous thing my character does at the beginning of the book is she admits herself to a psychiatric facility for help. She can no longer mm. function. She's a high-functioning social worker driven by compassion, but the um, weight of the world, the sorrow of the world has overwhelmed her, and she needs help. Mm. Wow. Wow. Uh, this is just fascinating for me to to just kind of delve into your universe, as you call it, a little yes. bit and 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 see the overlap too of of um, not only what you're exploring, but just the realities that so many pastors face day after day after day. One yeah. of the conversations we've been having at PIR is just how this unique season uh, of life with a pandemic and and with uh, tensions and and uh, so many questions are taxing pastors in ways yes. that they've never been taxed before. And, and it's exposing um, both areas of health and areas of need uh, yeah. in their lives. And, and how can we be um, a source of encouragement and help there? And, and I just, I love what you're saying about the sharing of your journey through your writing mm-hmm. uh, and that, that message of, of uh, um, just soul care and, mm-hmm. and uh, attending to your health. Uh, where, where can people find your books and learn about your ministry? Uh, um, imagining now a mad rush that's really going to make you a bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> as our huge listening audience will be <laughs> just racing to the bookstores. Both Aww. of them. Huh? Yes. And locals race, race to uh, Baker Bookhouse in Grand Rapids if you're here mm-hmm. local in West Michigan or online to, um, to buy. But people can track me through my personal website, which is um, SharonGarlowBrown.com. Um, I'm in the process of loading some retreat dates there for the mm. fall. We're, we're working, of course, everything online now. But information about my books um, is there. We also have a ministry, my husband and I, called Abiding Way Ministries. Mm-hmm. And we are producing daily um, audio Lexio Divina. And particularly in a season where we're kind of inundated with screen time, the gift of being able to hear scripture read multiple times and then invited into prayer with scripture mm-hmm. to receive the word. Um, we are posting those daily and that website is abidingway.life. So I hope people will take advantage of just receiving the word, resting in the word that way. Tom, I got to say, you know, as we we're talking with Sharon, I'm hearing so many echoes in her life and her ministry of the things that we're doing at PIR too. You know, she talked about having a, a group of people who come around her to care for her. And that sounds so much to me like our Refuge Church program and the, the PIR program that we set up to, to have a group of people come around a hurting pastor and his wife and, and help them through. And, and the, just the idea of walking alongside uh, people who are hurting. Um, there's so much that that connects our hearts. And I know Sharon and Jack are, are big fans of PIR. Yes, we and, are. And uh, I'm a big fan of, of Abiding Way. Amy and I have, have been able to volunteer and help out a little bit with some of uh, Sharon's retreats. So I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe we can get together again sometime in the future and talk more about how Sharon's ministry, Abiding Way, and maybe bring Jack on the show yeah. and, uh, and talk about just, just the many ways that you are, are blessing people in ministry. Thank you so much for, for being with us today. It's been a, a great pleasure. 
Oh, it's an honor. And Sean, as you said, we are big fans of the ministry that you're doing, caring for pastors. What an important call, what an important need. So thanks for the privilege of being able to share a conversation with you both. God's grace to you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And as Sean said, we'll look, we'll look forward to having uh, you and Jack back with us in the future. That's great. Thank you, Tom. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, PIRministries.org, or email us at info at PIRministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame. Thank you.